I'm your host, Rena Friedman Watts, and this is the Better Call Daddy Show. Hey, this is Big Daddy, Wayne Friedman. That's my grandpa. Grandpa, you ready for more daddy drama? My dad is my number one hero and number one fan. And I'm a pretty cool dude. All right, season four, baby, here we go. More stories you're not going to believe. And maybe you will after you listen. Five stars. Five and a half stars, two thumbs up. You are a pretty cool dude. Love you, mommy. Don't stand on the table and damn the public. You'll get some words of wisdom to live by. Here we go again. Better call daddy. You know what your problem is? You like me. Yeah, I do. Each week, I interview a guest, share the stories with my dad, and then he weighs in at the end of every episode with his wisdom and wit. Hey, Grandpa. Everyone from influential players to inspirational fathers, and of course, controversial people. Grandpa, my mommy's calling. Creating that legacy one call at a time. And welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Stay tuned. Where's the music? Better call daddy cause he knows you best. He's bringing the test. He sees possibilities. Better call daddy, he'll be by your side. Better call daddy, you're the apple of his eye. He sees possibilities. Introducing Heidi Chance from the documentary Sex Trafficking in America. She is a nationally recognized speaker and a former human trafficking detective. There can be many victims in sex trafficking. It happens to the most vulnerable. What you need to do is tell your children that you love and understand them, or they too can be lost. Heidi Chance, welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Hey. Hi. Thank you so much for doing this. Absolutely. I just watched the documentary Sex Trafficking in America and whoa, that was really well done, first of all. Yeah. Uh huh. And I want to know, like, how did that come about? You know, I'm not sure the ins and outs of the idea or where it came from, but I, I know that originally, and we could talk about this when we're actually doing the thing, but originally it was going to be a story about female detectives fighting for women. And then it turned into the actual case that it followed all the way through. But originally it was a lot of, you know, they interviewed us at home, they interviewed our spouses, our children, you know, the impact of working this problem as an undercover detective. And it's, they had like the four female detectives that they pretty much followed myself and the other three and you know that's what it was going to be about until that one incident happened with the juvenile and and I'm fine with the way it turned out I think there's a different version of it more focusing on us in I think it was in England because the the actual director is from England and then the producer was from New York but yeah it's definitely they did a great job interesting that they were from London and New York Did they Uh just reach out to you like when they found out about the situation or? I think they had decided on three different states that they were pitching the idea to the law enforcement agency and kind of cutting through all the red tape to be able to get that kind of access. And so Phoenix Police Department was okay with and signed on eventually, ultimately resulting in them doing the whole thing in Phoenix. But I think that's how that rolled out. Wow. Yeah. Did you learn anything about TV by participating in that? 
you know what's funny? If you watched it, there's this part where I'm talking on the phone with an actual sex trafficking trafficker and they zoom in and my, my nails were all gross and weird. And that was the only thing I saw when I saw that clip. And we, were, we did like a special viewing of it. And I was like, oh, you guys zoomed in on my busted up nails. <laughs> I do actually remember that. Yeah. And they were like, we knew you were going to have a problem with that. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. 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 But I will just say it was riveting. It was well edited and I cared about the characters. I was just praying that they were taken down, you know, the sex traffickers and, and actually hearing the trial and all of the evidence that you guys had to collect and how hard it is to get women to stand up in trial and how long that can take. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, I don't think people understand how hard it is to put a case together that tells the story and corroborates what a victim tells us. And it could be, you know, years ago that we're still gathering evidence and finding old phones and processing and finding other witnesses, putting that all together and then keeping that victim wanting to still press charges. I've had cases go five years waiting for trial. And luckily that victim was so vested in, and I had seven victims in that case, but they all stayed with us still wanting to testify. And it was a battle because even like in the early year, within the one year of rescuing this one victim in particular, she fell back into drugs. She fell back into prostitution with other traffickers, other situations. And we had to like constantly be rearresting her to keep her safe, getting her moved from one place to another place helping her with victim advocates and and all those things to get her to the point where five years later she was able to testify. Plus, don't you ever worry if any of the girls are going to rat you out? Rat us out as far as? Tell the traffickers that you're undercover. No, I've never worried about that. It's definitely... We're at the point that we're going to trial or or getting them out. We're constantly in contact with them. That's why we involve victim advocates because our plate is full as far as all the other investigations we're doing, all the other victims, my own undercover work. So I need someone else to to be there for the victim if they call at two o'clock in the morning so that someone answers the phone for them and can get them a copy of a new ID if they lose it or help them get a job or if they don't like the housing that they're placed at and they want to move to a different location. I've actually helped with that where I've put victims' belongings in my own personal vehicle's trunk and moved them (laughs) placement that they were at with some other person that they were not getting along with into a hotel and all kinds of things. So it's, it's definitely a job in itself, keeping victims safe and ready for trial all that time. How do you keep Keep your humanity. You know, I really, really take a lot of pride in putting these traffickers away for hundreds of years. And so that's where I've had a victim refer to it as Wusa. <laughs> she actually said Wusa. That's where my calm comes from as far as, you know, the end game for me is getting them justice and getting really evil people off the streets and in prison. Yeah, that must be some serious satisfaction. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you were able to do that? Yes. Well, I mean, a lot of the cases that I worked early on, if I give you a little background, starting with trafficking was kind of my mid-career point as far as being a police officer. So I was already 10 years in a certain precinct. And then I had an interaction with a young girl that I knew from when she was in middle school. 
And she kind of talked about being trafficked. And so I was just blown away. I'd already been a cop for a lot of years. And I was, wow, I can't believe this is happening to young people like you. And that's what really sparked my interest into wanting to get involved as an undercover. But I do remember obviously starting as an undercover and then getting my first case back in, and we're talking 2008, 2007, trafficking was viewed differently than it is now. The focus was on arresting prostitutes. And it wasn't really a focus on getting the traffickers. And it was a little bit of a focus on the sex buyers, but mostly it was the actual prostitutes on the streets, walking on the streets and in hotels. And that has definitely changed. We've all evolved. We've all recognized we can't arrest our way out of this problem. We've all moved forward towards getting victims actual help to get them out of the system. So when I talk about early cases, I've got cases where traffickers only got nine years in prison for doing horrible things to people versus right before I retired, I've put traffickers away for hundreds of years. So that's a true testament to the evolution of law enforcement and how we handle this problem. Where do you think the pivot happened? So at least for my agency, it was a case that got national attention. It was, we refer to it as the girl in the dog crate case. And literally it was a 15 year old that met a 19 and 20 year old male and female suspects, lured her from a park. She was on runaway status, reported runaway. Patrol had responded to the apartment where she was believed to be contained at several times. And she was literally locked at times when obviously the police weren't there in a dog crate and men would come to the apartment to have sex with her. When those law enforcement officers came there looking for her, they did try to find her, but she was actually locked in like a a wooden platform that was built up over a bed, over a mattress and locked inside there. So the first two times that they actually went there, they weren't able to physically find her and she was scared to death. So she didn't make any noise, but eventually, ultimately we were able to find her. And I think that case really opened everyone's eyes, at least in my agency, as to how big of a problem this was and truly what traffickers do to victims. Wow. Did you speak with her after that? You know, I never had contact with that victim. That victim was a case that happened before I went to the unit. But I think that's what started the whole evolution of looking at this problem differently. Wow. So when they started looking at the cases differently, can you talk about how they approached girls on the street? Like, what did they say? How did they treat them differently? Basically, there is still enforcement action that has to be done because I personally have had cases where I've had a victim that we had safe that testified against her trafficker that was transitioning out of child welfare into independent living, was being provided an apartment, getting a job, a full ride scholarship. And we legally helped her change her name because this trafficker she testified against was so dangerous. And she gave up all of that to go back to trafficking and fell in with another trafficker. So at some point, you know, it's, it is a choice at some point. And it's, you know, the truth is the truth and it is what it is. And It's not a popular opinion because we do try to help victims. But if they're going to, after we've given all of that, they're going to go back to it, then they're going to go back to it. And then at that point, they're going to have to be subject to enforcement action. That definitely happens in those instances. But we do all that we can to try and avoid all of that and actually offer assistance now versus what was going on a long time ago. I asked my Facebook group, which are a lot of my loyal followers of the show, if they had any questions for someone who had worked undercover helping stop sex trafficking. We actually got a question that I felt like is a really good one. So he said that he was a former sex worker and he wanted to know if you were ever bothered by the fact that 
many, it's either that or going hungry. He said it saddens him that so many people's futures are ruined by having a criminal background for something they had no choice in. Yeah. And that's part of that change that we're making. Definitely. And I think he's referring to survival sex as far as being able to, and we've, we've seen a lot of that, especially in Arizona's a border state. And so we'd have people come from, you know, other countries and they can't get an ID and they have, you know, no means to get employment. And so a, a survival sex or survival sex working in the community is, is what they resort to. And, you know, it is definitely one of those things where now, and I, I don't think I've explained this yet, but we, we have a victim advocate that's actually different. I've traveled all over the United States training on sex trafficking and speaking to law enforcement. And this is something unique to my agency and other agencies are getting on board, but an actual grant funded position for a victim advocate to be out with the detectives at two o'clock in the morning, whenever we're running our operation to take a victim aside and actually offer services right then and ask the question that we were never asking before, which is what can I do to help you get out of this? And that's, you know, the big changes that we're striving for is to actually not have to re-arrest this person or have contact with them ever again. Let's get them out of the life right now. Here we are. We've had this contact. It may have been initially negative because it may have been an undercover operation, but with the intent of offering services immediately and getting you help, that, that's where we're going right now with, with that. That's incredible. Yeah. What kind of training do those advocates have to have? So definitely they need to have a background in therapist or counseling and then you know, training with us as far as confidentiality and taking the person aside, but keeping safe themselves just in case. And then knowledge of all of the resources available, like the shelters that are specific to sex trafficking victims, what their rules are, contact information for outside of normal business hours, because a lot of this is going on in the middle of the night. And then for juveniles, for rescuing juveniles, getting them to their specific placement locations, the transportation of them and all of those things. Oh my gosh, that is a lot. Yeah, but it's a wonderful thing. And it's actually helping because obviously traffickers know that they can use us as the bad guy and say, well, the police are just going to arrest you. And that's exactly what we were doing before. So of course that's true. And so it's also trying to get a victim to realize that we're actually trying to offer help is the other part of the uphill battle that we're running into. And it's our own fault because we were just arresting them before. And so it's going to take some time for them to build some trust. Well, I will say in the documentary, it really seemed like they covered the switch in approach. Mm -hmm. I was inspired by that. Totally. Okay. So I got another question from someone who himself was homeless and he wanted to know, have you ever tried to save boys as well? Yes. And that's another whole demographic that's not talked about a lot. Unfortunately, I don't have any case example of putting someone away for trafficking a boy because I haven't had them really come forward and want to continue with that path of testifying against a trafficker. We've definitely had investigations started with those victims. But the thing, you know, again, another truth is I can't speak for a victim. They have to be along with us in this whole process. And unfortunately, a defendant has the right to know who their accuser is. And so they face them in court. And so it's really hard to get victims normally to even go to trial, let alone a male victim with, um, you know, some of the other behavioral circumstances going on with them. Oh my gosh. Wow. But you have faced that? Yes. 
Oh my gosh. Okay. The the questions from the audience are fascinating. I mean, to be honest, I, I can't believe some of the feedback that I got. I have one other one too. And this guy was also a former officer. Oh, okay. Are there people in the government involved in sex trafficking aiding? I don't aiding. even know if you can answer that. Well, I mean, there's definitely been organizations that are set up that assist with the whole trafficking problem where unfortunately they've had employees that were accused of participating, not in trafficking, but further abusing victims, specifically in the placements where juveniles are. We've had some allegations. As far as other law enforcement, we have arrested cops. I've walked up to a vehicle with Department of Corrections officers, half in uniform, and who solicited me for sex act in exchange for money. We've had, you know, we've definitely arrested prominent individuals, businessmen, football, associated football people, you know, it runs the gambit as far as sex buyers, people you would never think, unfortunately, are involved in that. Have you ever been scared? Yeah, definitely. I recall maybe five years ago, I was doing a street prostitution enforcement operation where I was posing as a prostitute walking the streets. And I had, I changed up my appearance. So if you watch the movie, you see that I wear wigs and change up what I look like. So I look different. <laughs> and I had a pimp that I had arrested. And it was kind of like charges were pending. We were still in the mix of the investigation. He was intimidating my victim. And she was on the fence of whether or not she wanted to continue to press charges or not. She was already back in New York. He had trafficked her all the way from New York. And basically he rolled by me. I saw him. I recognized him I think he wasn't sure and thought maybe he recognized me as you know the detective investigating him and he flipped around to come back and I didn't stick around to find out <laughs> so I ran up the stairs to the hotel room that we had set up for our safe room and you know he was later pulled over for a traffic violation and they did find a gun in the car so I don't know what his intention was but I wasn't going to stick around and find out Oh my gosh. How about the other women that you work with? Do you feel like a special bond with them? Yeah, we're we're definitely very, very close. Even still, I've recently retired in October of 21, but we still, you know, hang out, Christmas parties, all those things. So yeah, definitely. They're they're my family. I spent 13 years with these people. So were there nights where you couldn't sleep? Yes, definitely. Specifically nights where I was in the mix of a conversation with a trafficker who was trying to groom and recruit me because I have six Facebooks, three Instagrams, tagged, meet me, Bumble, plenty of fish, Snapchat, all in undercover personas. And so when a trafficker calls, you better answer the phone. Like I've had them scream and yell at me because I missed their call. I mean, they think that I am, you know, who I'm claiming to be. And so there is no reason why I wouldn't be available to answer my phone, even though I'm in bed with my husband, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's definitely... But I, you know, do all of those things to legitimize the persona that I'm portraying so that the end game is that I get them in custody for pandering and charge them with a felony. So isn't it hard to separate your day job from your personal life? The unit that I was in, they worked so hard. We worked so hard, like literally your regular 40 hour work week, four tens, but then there was like overtime opportunities and you'd work 16, 18 hours a day and come back in to work another 10 hours or another 16 hours. So it is definitely really, really hard work. And it, I was hardly at home for several years. 
What does legacy mean to you? Legacy as far as what I hope. I definitely hope that I leave this legacy of awareness and people caring about this issue because it really is growing to be quite the problem. You know, we have illegal drugs as the number one criminal organization, drug drug sales, drugs, drug activity. And then we have illegal arms trade, but human trafficking itself is tied with illegal arms trade. So it is really a growing problem. And pretty soon it's going to be tied with drug trafficking because we have drug dealers and gangsters recognizing that if you traffic a person, you can make a whole bunch more money and you don't get caught with anything. Because as long as you control the mouth of the victim and they don't say anything to anybody, then you're golden and you don't get caught with anything. So they're recognizing that, unfortunately. And so I imagine that this is just going to be a problem that grows even more if I don't make an impact somehow more than just being in Arizona. I kind of want to be a nationally recognized influence on this issue. And you have spoken. Can you talk about, I know that you've recently spoken in different places. Talk to yeah. me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I've spoken for Shared Hope, which is a nationally recognized conference every year. I've spoken a couple of times for them. I'm flying next week to San Diego to speak at the Human Trafficking Summit in San Diego. Oh, I'm also going to Alabama <laughs> next week for the Child Abuse Symposium. I also travel around speaking about sex trafficking and also training law enforcement as far as how to do these undercover operations, how to have these social media profiles, how to have the conversations to fit the elements of the crime, to make arrests, to extradite traffickers from other states, all of those things and go after them financially as well. So definitely I am recognized. I just want to be more recognized now. <laughs> what can the average person do? Yeah, I get asked that a lot. So obviously taking in information about sex trafficking, all the ins and outs is one thing. You could Google search sex trafficking or human trafficking organizations in your state and get involved, volunteer, work with them, become a victim advocate yourself. The biggest assistance in making this problem a workable problem that we're actually getting people justice is victim advocates. I mean, that is huge, especially survivor victim advocates. People can collect toiletries and, you know, fill a backpack up with flip-flops and hoodies and leggings and things that Victims can be handed a backpack full of stuff because a lot of times when we do those rescues, they don't have anything. And anything that they have is stuff that their pimp bought them and it's left back at the hotel room and it's not worth going to get. They have nothing. And so giving them something that they can actually own is huge. And it also supports, you know, getting them out of that you know, provocative outfit that they were in and putting real clothes on and getting them, you know, comfortable. All of those things are huge. So donating those kind of items, getting those items to organizations that pass them out. Um, when Super Bowl happened, I helped an organization called Finding Jasper. They're based out of another state and they asked me to kind of talk through all of the things going on with Phoenix and, you know, the areas of prostitution. So I actually went on Google Maps and walked them down the blade, which is the known area for prostitution and told them, well, this is where they are in this corner and they might walk down this way. And this is a, a seedy hotel that they might be at and those kind of things. So there's a lot people can do. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even think that I could just Google that and then reach out to an organization. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see why not. I mean, there's people looking for volunteers everywhere, especially like when Super Bowl was here, there was the soap project where they were trying to put a sticker with like the human trafficking hotline or Arizona just created their own hotline on soap that would be at the hotels. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. And so they needed, they wanted every hotel room at all the hotels in the Phoenix area. That's a huge project. They needed a lot of, a lot of people to help do that. So there's things like that for sure. Are there other ways that you've seen girls alert help? I mean, that's genius with the soap. <laughs> Yeah. If you've gone to the airport recently, there's definitely on the back, I think, of almost every bathroom stall. One thing I remember that you told me from our pre-chat was that families get involved in human trafficking. Uh Can you talk a little bit about that? That is actually shocking. Yeah. So one thing I've definitely learned is that traffickers' family knows what they're doing. Like it's been my experience in 13 years of working this and arresting hundreds of traffickers, including their family members. I've arrested traffickers' mothers multiple times, more than once. It seems to me that this is almost a learned behavior where their uncle or their dad or their brother were pimps. And so they kind of grew up to be pimps also. That's definitely something that has been my experience. I don't know if there's any studies out there that talk about it, but it's definitely a thing. Interesting. Have any other case studies been done as far as where this is happening, which areas need to be patrolled more? Yeah. So Arizona State University and their research area, they have all kinds of information about that. We're, as law enforcement, we're good at tracking like the basics, like it was a male, it was a female, this is their date of birth, their social security number. We don't track a whole bunch of other stuff. So they've actually gone back and run our police reports and gotten all kinds of research demographics to put together reports on all of those things. And they've not just done it for Arizona. I know they did it for Hawaii. I think they've done it for Vegas. I mean, they're, they're, you know, moving to other agencies to do that research so that we can actually put a number on this. Cause that's one thing that people ask me all the time is how many victims are there? There is no way to put a number on how many victims because we have so many people that haven't come forward yet. So we don't have that number. There's, I mean, if you were to Google numbers, don't put any stock in any of that because there's no way we don't know what we don't know. And we, we can't identify people who haven't even come forward yet. I did hear you say that, or in the documentary, it stated, if there are no customers, then there is no crime. Yeah. And that's the bottom line here. The demand, the sex buyers, those are, those are the individuals creating this problem. Uh, Some more truth for you, at least in my experience, (laughs) it's only been men that are the sex buyers. So I said what I said, (laughs) it's, It's men. They're creating the demand. I have never had contact with a female contacting ads and looking for sex in exchange for money or compensation. So it's one of those things where there needs to be stricter punishments for sex buyers. I haven't asked before, why don't we just put their name and their face on a billboard on the side of the freeway so everybody driving by sees them. And that would be all fine and dandy, except for the fact that we took an oath to do no harm. And if I were to do that, or the police department was to do that, and their, you know, that buyer's child gets bullied at school and beat up over daddy's picture on the side of the freeway, then we've caused harm. And so that's why we don't do that. But there are other things that we can do as far as stricter punishment, bigger fines, all of those things. And I know that there's legislation that's working, trying to get those things put in place. It has to be pretty heartbreaking, though, even for you to see that some of these people that are doing it do have kids and do have families, too. Oh, yeah. I've had hundreds of sex buyers take their wedding ring off, put it in the cup holder, and then ask me for a sex act in exchange for money. You know, their wives call after we've, you know, arrested them and 
and they're like, well, what happened? Well, we, everything's public record. You can find out. I'm not allowed to tell you over the phone, but you know, it's awful. I don't know if you can talk about this, but how far did you have to go? You're in a car with guys and to not blow oh, your pepper, oh, oh. have they ever made their <laughs> the move on you? So definitely there are, it, it is a, <laughs> the way that I train is, it's a fine line of this is totally going to happen, but don't touch me. <laughs> You know, especially in hotels where you have them so close to you, like standing outside of a car is a little bit more controlled. We don't actually, you know, get in the car with them, but in the hotel room, they're in the hotel room with us. And I've had, you know, instances where they've tried to touch me. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's kind of the cost of doing business, but we also have to be safe at the same time. You know, there there's ways to, you know, move the conversation towards the solicitation, which is them asking for whatever sex act that they're looking for and what they're going to pay for it. But, you know, it's definitely a case by case thing. And sometimes a tricky situation. Oh, I say man. Sticky, sticky situation. <laughs> yeah, I would say, oh, my God. I mean, that to me would be the scary <laughs> part. Yeah. Whoa. I don't know how much you can even share about that. But like, were, did you have like something in your ear where they could hear? Like, did, were you bugged or like... <laughs> Oh, Is yeah, it like no, the definitely yeah. for officer safety, the rooms are set up and it's where obviously they're coming to us so we can control the whole environment. It is, you know, definitely difficult for us to go do an out call where we go to someone else's location because there's a lot of unknowns and for officer safety reasons, we're not going to do that. The only time we would do that is if we know that there's a juvenile inside there. And, you know, obviously we would do things that we have to do to make a rescue of the juvenile. Oh my gosh. Whoa. Yeah. So are you trained like in martial arts and like how to get people off you? Well, we call it defensive tactics, but yeah, there's definitely training involved for all everyone in law enforcement, as far as those, you know, encounters are, but definitely there's been situations, you know, where like, for instance, I was at a conference, it was an all female undercover conference. And so I learned from a girl at our table that she, you know, opened, she was doing the same job I was doing. She opened the door to the hotel room and a buyer punched her in the face and knocked her out. It was where she was in the hallway. The initial area of the hotel room before the actual camera area was covering the main portion of the hotel room. And so at what point does the arrest team come in, no matter what, when you hear silence and you don't hear anything else? And so, you know, that was a scenario that we brought back and that we, you know, didn't inform our arrest team and we had them train on, you know, that specific thing happening because that could totally happen. I mean, sex buyers are dangerous too. You know, it's one of those things that we definitely, you know, try to think of every scenario that could happen and, and train on it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them are armed, I'm imagining. Yes. Yeah. And you don't know what their intention is because sex buyers are very dangerous. I mean, they're trying to carry out some kind of fantasy or something that they're not getting at home or wherever. And they don't see these victims as humans. And here we are posing as those people and, you know, to be as safe as possible, but arrest them at the same time. Um, there's lots of officer safety issues. I also heard in the documentary that they're requesting like a lot of fetishy type of stuff. Yeah, some of that is, you know, conversation over the phone and they're not serious and they never even show up. But some of that is definitely they show up and they have a specific thing that they want that they're after. And, and you know, they expect you to perform because they are paying you, even though they don't realize who they're talking to. Do you think that this is linked to porn? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I follow 
on Instagram, a bunch of, you know, Exodus Cry, Fight the New Drug, all of those, you know, organizations that are really putting out awareness about the connection between sex trafficking and pornography. How dangerous is it? As far as me being an undercover or the actual buyers with with victims? Both. (laughs) As far as us being undercover, I, I mean... I'm pretty confident in my squad mates and in their ability to come into the rescue, but victims don't have that. And so it's extremely scary for them. You know, I've had victims talk about being raped and, you know, having guns pointed at them, being stabbed, all kinds of things. So it's, it's, it's extremely violent. I mean, no wonder they don't want to stand trial. I think that seeing those people in court has got to be like reliving it. It is definitely unfortunate that, you know, that it, it is a requirement for a victim to face their, or for an accuser to see who's accusing them, basically. And so, you know, it's one of those things that with the help of victim advocates and survivor victim advocates, we get victims to show up to court, but it's, it's definitely hard. I mean, I've lost cases before where they never even went to trial because the victim became uncooperative and the whole thing, you know, never moved forward. Lots of cases. That's so sad. Do you see yourself in any of these girls? Who were you as a little girl? You know, it isn't really me seeing myself because I had a great upbringing. I mean, my dad was also a police officer. Oh, nice. Uh, almost a nurse. But I do see that girl that I met when I was completely aware of how big this problem was in a lot of these girls, for sure. That's amazing that she changed your life. Have you ever told her that? You know, I haven't had contact with her. I've tried to find her. She's had a drug problem for a while. But definitely, I mean, she inspired me to want to get justice for girls like her. Well, I hope that one day she hears your message and reaches out to you. That'd be cool. Yeah. Crazy. Is there anything that you would like to ask my dad? If there's a way to spread awareness to parents that the internet is so dangerous and they can do things now, put things in place, get certain type of phones, put apps on the phone you know, those kind of things. And they need to do that because these predators, sex buyers, traffickers, they're all on the internet because I mean, I've done investigations where just in a week's period of time, I talked to a trafficker and they sent the same message to me, copied and pasted to 91 other profiles, all female, all trying to throw out the fishing line and see who takes the bait. And so they're actively doing this all day long, every day, because they have no real job. This is their job. And it is so big that potentially kids on the internet, kids on apps on the phone, kids on social media, they're so at risk. And so if parents could just put those things in place, talk to their kids, prepare them for conversations like if someone's telling you, hey, this is our secret, keep this a secret, you don't have to tell your dad. That should be something that they already were told about by their parents, that if someone says that to you, they're a bad person, don't talk to them anymore, they're trying to do this, this, and this. Did you learn any of this from your dad? What was he, what was it like to have a cop dad when you were dating? (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. Because my dad, you know, and I always tell the story, I was 13. My dad had dropped me off at my friend's house and her and I were going to start our own babysitting business. And so we had made up flyers and I was supposed to be at her house, right? But no, we were not at her house. We were flyering the neighborhood because we were entrepreneurs at 13 and we were going to be babysitters. And he found me. (laughs) I don't know if he drove up every street from her house, but he found us. And it's one of those things where I never forgot. He said I was supposed to be where I was and I wasn't. And I got caught. And that whole perception of you could get caught by your parents 
needs to be like this in your back of your mind growing up because they need to know that the rules are set in place for my protection. And if I get caught, I'm going to get punished. You know, those things are on purpose to keep me safe. But kids rebel. I know, I know. <laughs> and and they really spend so much time online now. Yeah, they do. Definitely. Yeah, it, it's, you know, a thousand times worse, you know, now than it was back when I, I mean, I had a brick phone. I mean, I didn't even have all the apps and the internet and all of that at my fingertips. So it's definitely worse. And that's, you know, more important for parents to be diligent about the rules, establishing the expectations and putting things in place to protect them. It's so hard to find that balance between not being annoying and trusting your kid and protecting them at the same time. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, they have their work cut out for them. I'm not, I'm not (laughs) denying that at all as far as it not being as easy as it was in the past. But there are things like Gab wireless phones or Bark technology phones that they can get that look like iPhones. They're not going to get picked on at school, but have protections. Like we'll send a message to the parents if they're receiving solicitation or a request for a photo or those kind of things. It'll immediately alert the parents. I mean, those, those types of things are available now to help with this you know, growing issue. And are there apps if you have a normal phone? There are apps, but I know, you know, my, my sister, my own niece, she was 12 and she figured out how to bypass the parental controls that my sister put on the phone. And she was able to create an Instagram and was conversing with guys. And they were at that point where they were asking her for photos of herself. And so, and, and my sister caught it, obviously she took the phone away, but There's, you know, I think if it isn't the actual device itself, that's completely, you know, foolproof, like the Bark technology or the Gab wireless, there's a risk still. There's a chance still. What else do these traffickers say other than send me your picture or don't Um, tell? They're very complimentary. They're, you know, they're trying to find out about their victims. It's confusing for a victim because they think this person's into them. They're asking questions about you know, where do your parents work or where do your siblings go to school or what does your bedroom look like or things like that? Or, you know, what's your parents schedule? Are you able to sneak out? Can you come meet me? Do you have a park nearby? All kinds of things, you know, that is, you know, putting the thoughts in their mind about this person's super cool. I'd love to meet them. But for, you know, somehow this has to be a sneaky behind my parents back situation. I don't know why, but that's what they're suggesting. And unfortunately, they roll with it and they go and meet this person. Do you think that this is happening more now than when we were growing up? Oh, yeah, (laughs) definitely. I mean, every day I'm learning about new apps like on Gab Wire or not Gab Wireless. It was Bark Technologies. And I'm not sponsored by either one of these. But hey, if they... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, reach out. Yeah, but <laughs> they, them in this. Yeah. they put out blog, you know, articles about new apps that kids are using, like this new app, Wiz. I've never heard of Wiz. And that's a new one for me that they are able to download. There's apps that look like other things, like they, it looks like a normal calculator on the phone, but it's actually a whole social media app. But your parents wouldn't know. You know what I mean? They're very, very good about putting out new information for parents to be on the up and up as far as things kids could be doing to unfortunately at the direction of another or their own idea, be deceptive with their parents. This is a little bit off subject, but I was just thinking about, did you ever feel judgmental towards, we're all judgmental today. (laughs) 
Well, and that's one thing that I talk about when I talk about the indicators, like on my website, I have a whole list of indicators. And one of the indicators is someone bragging about or walking around with new gifts or new items or, you know, bragging about having a lot of money all of a sudden. It's not being judgy. It's if that's a 14 year old and they have no job, then where did this money come from? Or where did this gift come from? I mean, we've all been around long enough to know no one gives you anything for free without expecting something in return. And so, you know, it's important for kids to know that that's typically what's going on. And, you know, if someone's giving my kid gifts, I should be asking questions and finding out about that. Another really good point. Thank you so much. This has been super useful. Has, have I like not asked you anything that you wanted to cover? Oh, just that, you know, I have my, since I retired, I have my, my website, a chance for awareness.com pun intended. And I have resources on there. Like I've hinted at with the sex trafficking indicators list. And that's for like the general public and then actual specific tips for parents and teens, as far as like a printable that they can access on the website, a chance for awareness.com. And then, you know, I have my Instagram also a chance for awareness with like an underscore in between each word for the purpose of constantly pushing out new information, up-to-date information, resharing what Gab and, and Bark Technologies are talking about as far as, you know, these apps and then the application of those things in the trafficking world and how that relates to what I've seen traffickers do. And I've developed a course where, you know, as someone who's new to sex trafficking at all, like what is it? What is it versus human trafficking versus human smuggling? That whole, a little bit of a, you know, more expanded version of an explanation of the evolution of law enforcement itself and going after the trafficking problem. And then I have a course, you know, like a module specific about victim vulnerabilities. I have one about sex buyers, about traffickers and what they do to recruit and more about the conversation of, you know, the statements that they make to victims to try and convince them to and lure them away from home. Can you and imagine they, like plastering yeah. that to your kid's wall? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that it needs to be talked about. I think that's part of the problem here is that we don't have parents talking about it. And so therefore when it happens, it's a shock because they don't think that that could ever happen to their kid. And that's where it's not even a poor demographic. I've had kids like, a, you know, a college student, Fulbright scholarship to a university get recruited, introduced to a brothel. And now that poor college student is at the prison because she got addicted to heroin and her whole life went down the toilet. And, you know, it's all because she was introduced to trafficking and what happened to her and, you know, all of the things that went with that. And so it isn't just the poor area. It isn't just one demographic or one race or just girls, as we've discussed here. It could happen anywhere to anyone. And we just need to be aware. Do you ever miss the work that you were doing? Oh, yeah, definitely. But I have my hand in it now, even in a more relatable sense, because, you know, being in law enforcement, being doing those investigations, there's things I'm not allowed to talk about, things I'm not allowed to, you know, expand on. And now I'm free to do more of that. And I think being a person that, you know, people can come to as far as has been it, has done investigations, lived experience with it. I think I offer a lot of education and awareness to anyone who has a question about it in a different perspective coming from law enforcement. For sure. I mean, you're a subject matter expert. I mean, do you yeah. go to trials? Uh-huh. Yeah. I've testified in trials. Uh-huh. Wow. 
I mean, so I, I would imagine like, even though you're not in the field, you still are doing work that fulfills you and you still, like you said, have your hand in it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's part of this whole, my whole business that I've created is having my hand in it and, you know, really focusing on two things, one, the community and their awareness, and then two, training for law enforcement on how to be that undercover and have the successes and investigations that I've had getting traffickers, getting traffickers who are in other states extradited to your state, prosecuting them, all those things. So super important to me. And, and I'm glad that I get to continue doing this. This is the final question, but how important do you think it is for women to get like self-defense training? Oh, extremely important. Self-defense training, situational awareness training, you know, how to be a good witness if you see something happen or just not being so involved in your own phone when you're walking to your car, those kind of things. I mean, it's extremely important because that's what we used to talk about a burglar casing an area, casing homes. They're looking for, you know, bushes that are covering a window or a doorway. They call it septed, crime prevention through environmental design. As a person being distracted by a phone or a conversation on a phone or, an, you know, Facebook or whatever they're doing on their phone, individuals who are casing that area to victimize someone seize that opportunity because they're distracted. And so extremely important. My husband wouldn't like this, but I literally had somebody pull Uh-oh. over when I was on my phone in a parking lot and tell me that I shouldn't do that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, he was like, yeah, he totally gave me <laughs> a warning. Yeah. It was okay. scary. Well, you, you you know, it's stuck in your mind and you're never going to It did. It. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I lock my door now. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like if I'm parked, I try not to. Yeah. I try to be more situationally 100%. aware. Crazy. Okay. Well, this has been amazing, Heidi. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much. You've heard from my mom. Now let's switch it over to grandpa. All right. Did you know that sex trafficking was such a big problem in the United States? It's not only a big problem in the United States, but your episode with Heidi brings out it's happening everywhere in the world and that we have to have the right perspective if we're going to have a possible cure to it. We have to take it seriously that the bad guys in this or the predators in this are people that are making big bucks on it. And it's people in the streets are just the small pawns in a very big game. Having police arrest people on the streets that are so-called hookers, quote unquote, they're not the bad guys. They're just victims as well in this equation. It's the big players. It's the predators that take advantage of people that have a really a weakness for companionship, for love. And they're searching it out, not necessarily in the best of ways, but uh, this has been going on for thousands of years. Let's face it, even during the days of slavery, people that were working on the, on the farms and picking cotton even years ago used to have a lot of the masters of the house sleeping with the help, okay, where it's a domination issue. And it doesn't matter if you're a slave or if you're a person that doesn't have family. These are the victims where they're they're looking for attention and love. And they'll, like I said, sometimes use different extremes. And there's people out there that will take advantage of that. Then the people become doomed and they don't even know how to escape or get out because once you're in this cycle, very hard to break it. When you see girls on the street hustling, they're hustling money where they get part of it, I'm sure. But most of it is going to a much bigger network of predators. We're talking about the man versus a woman part of the equation that are 
also looking for attention and love that they're not getting at home or, or at home they don't have it. And they go out looking for some little bit of attention and a little womanly love. Even the issue of are they not victims as well, where we live in a world that needs better compassion and understanding of the problem. People are being stolen away and even sold into slavery and sold into this trafficking trade because it comes down to money and power and domination. Isn't that really the word? And the police have to have some compassion with these girls rather than, and, and this is what Heidi is trying to do, is try to give them a different type of education and give these girls that have a street an alternate to this crazy life that they have and to give them an opportunity to develop some other skills and wants and to have counseling that they are better than this. But it takes society to have a different outlook and not criminalize it, but to really understand that this could be a sickness that needs treatment and not necessarily where they're doing something that is so awful and terrible where they need to go to jail. I don't think that's the right medicine for, the, for this situation. And the sad part is, is that there's a lot of young girls that are looking for some excitement, looking for some attention and looking for love. Unfortunately, they find it in all the wrong places. And this is what Heidi is trying to do. She's trying to uncover a lot of the variables of what really goes on or what's really behind this crime and really try to have everyone understand that there are many victims in this and the girls themselves are more of a victim and they're not really the predators. The predators are the people behind these actions. They can't set up and do a lot of these things if there wasn't some type of network that's pushing them to do it. Good point. Did you have any idea that this was going on at big events like the Super Bowl? If you go to a World's Fair, if you go to a Super Bowl, there are predators not only there to pit pocket you and steal your money, but if you have small children, if you have young teenagers, they're willing to steal anything, anybody, anything that you have. So you better keep your hand on your wallet. You better have your other hand holding your daughter's hand or your son's hand, because they'll steal any child. And it happens even without big events going on, is that when there's an opportunity to steal, it's like somebody going to the local grocery store. They see it on the shelf, nobody's looking, and some of people will actually just put it in their pocket and take it. Uh, there's a lot of thievery. There's a lot of things going on. When it comes to people, who would think that stealing people is a benefit? And yet there are people that are even buying people just to use their body parts and sell those. They don't even necessarily care if you live or die, if they can sell you piecemeal to four or five people that are looking for a new liver or a new heart or a new uh, kidney. Uh, there, there's predators out there to even sell your body parts. We live in a very dangerous world and you better hold on to your children and make sure that they have an opportunity to know that they can always come to you to get help and that they always are going to feel loved because if they don't, they could go to all the wrong places and it could be a black hole that they can't get out of. Thank you, Heidi, for your service. Thank you, Heidi, for your service as well. We have to understand that there's a much bigger picture to this equation and that there are many people out there that are predators on people that are looking for extra attention or love. And there's a lot of people that are good salesmen to make you feel better. And it might be very sugary and tastes like beautiful candy on the outside. But once you get down to the 
to the core of the candy. You find out it's nothing but poison and they're just trying to kill you or to oppress you to where you can't get out. It's really like being in a prison, even though there's no bars around you. They break people spiritually and mentally. And isn't that even a harder prison than a real prison with bars when you can be out there in the world and could r run and leave, and yet they can't because they don't know or have any alternative in their mind where they have, uh, they're, they're a prisoner to their mind and the people that have manipulated them. So we have to be very careful not to let people that we love not have that mental support as well. That's good. Okay. All right. I'm signing off. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Now I think I'm going to go call my dad. <laughs> I'll say goodbye and see you the next time. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy show. Join us weekly for new episodes and more daddy wisdom. Better Call Daddy is good advice always. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. You can also find special episodes on my YouTube channel, and you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Alexa, or your preferred podcatcher. That's wrap for now. <laughs>